Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Astros Baseball. We have a special guest today. He is the editor of the new book, Astros and Asterix. He is Jonathan Silverman. Jonathan, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, so first, tell us a little bit about yourself. And you said you're, I thought you were the author, but you you said there's like 16 people that wrote this book. Yeah, actually a few more. Um, there's 16 essays. I wrote one of them in the introduction and then there's uh, 15 other contributors um, and a couple of pieces that are written by two people. So I didn't, I've not actually done the math, but I believe it's, I believe it's 17 people involved. Oh, wow. Um, so I'm a professor, a journalism professor at UMass Lowell. Um, my degrees in American studies from UT Austin. I used to be a sports writer for the Austin American Statesman and the Associated Press when I lived in Texas, and I do uh, work on horse racing um, is the main sport I write about. So this, I think this is kind of a cross between my interests in sports, because I'm a big sports fan, mm -hmm. um, and my degree in American studies. Uh, I. I, as a journalist, I was very intrigued by this scandal just because it was so strange. Um, there's been a lot of baseball scandals. There's been, you know, science dealing scandals, the steroids, everything else. But this one was so strange because of the kind of mix of high tech and low tech, you know, the powerful camera and then someone in the dugout banging on a trash can. And one of the things I'm really interested in as a writer is putting things in context. It's one of the things that American studies does. If you're reading something like Great Gatsby as an American studies person, you would want to know why it was written at that particular time. Rather than the themes of the book, you might write about the themes of the book, but you're really interested in the conditions that that produce such a work at that particular time. So when I heard about this, I emailed a friend of mine who's a sports historian to see if he wanted to work on this with me as a as a collection he didn't but he helped me he helped put put me in touch with some writers i contacted some writers on my own and then i also asked um, some saber people to do some writing for me i let everyone choose their own topics and it really happened to work out that i think there was a really good mix of different types of work on on this subject so you can tell from the beginning that I am not, I don't have an agenda with this book in terms of whether I, you know, how bad were the Astros and everything else. I have opinions about that, but really I wanted to let a lot of different people approach it from different angles. Yeah. So earlier this year, I had Evan Drellich on to talk about his book. There's been multiple books written about this, right? And a lot of Astro fans I mean, I don't know if that's your targeted audience, but most of them are tired of hearing about this. So what's different about your book that would make them want to read it? Well, I think it explains a little bit more about the conditions that led to the scandal, not just um, not just the general manager being hired or the farm system being reshapen. It's more like, well, what other scandals were there in the past? What really is cheating? Where are the lines of cheating? Why didn't why do fans stick with their teams? Um, what do Europeans think about this scandal? Um, where does analytics fit into this whole notion of 
of sign stealing and a scandal. Um, and so I think I am a professor and there are academics writing in here, and I'm not sure if you've read academic work before. So it can be a little, can be a little dense in places in terms of a little slower to read, but I would say that we really, my, you know, me as an editor and also the writers really strove to write for a more general audience. You'll have um, Evans in the book, uh, Will Leach is in the book, uh, Mitchell, Mitch Nathanson's in the book. Those are all journalists. Um, and then a lot of other writers who, who write generally for a public audience. And I would say that it's not universal that people think the scandal is a big idea, a, a big deal. And so that's, I think, maybe why the Astro fans might want to read about it if they've had some distance from the scandal now and they want to kind of dig in and see, you know, kind of take a broader and deeper look at, at why it occurred, I think, would be one reason they would might want to read it. Yeah, I, th I think there was another book and the guy had all these sources. There, I mean, there's there's been a lot about it. Uh, but you know, you you asked me to to chime in a little bit on uh, on some things to get discussion going, and that's a that's a question a lot of people had. You brought it up. Why did we stick with our team? And the the only answer we have is, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, you know, and it's kind of like the way I look at it is that if you have a child and you love that child and you've been that child's parents for a long time, and and they do something wrong you know, you're not going to stop loving them. And it's just some people did, though. I, I had a friend that just totally cut him off, gave me all of his stuff, and he was done. But mo most everybody stuck with their team because what else are they going to do? You know, I'm a Yankee fan, and I will be the first to tell you that Yankee Stadium, the new Yankee Stadium, is a terrible, um, is a terrible new stadium. And the Mets and the Red Sox have much better stadiums. Um, so does Baltimore. I mean, Pittsburgh. And, but it would be very hard for me to abandon the Yankees as a team, even if I'm, you know, very frustrated with them this year, because I've been a fan since I was six, and I am 58 now, I mean, it'd be very hard. And I also I will say that you probably if I we talked long, you probably would guess what my favorite Yankee championship was, and it was 96, because it's the one that had the most homegrown players in it, the one that they sort of built from scratch rather than trying to do it through free agency. So I was very atta attached to that team. I No one likes it when someone tells you that your team's wins don't count because they were achieved in a way that was, um, that took advantage of the rules, like, you know, spending a lot on free agency. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge Texas Longhorn fan. Probably the best sporting moment of my life was when UT won the national championship. And I get annoyed when people talk about the Vince Young's knee coming down and uh, that shouldn't have been a touchdown. Um, I don't, no one likes, no one likes an asterisk next to their yeah. champion. I think that the thing, Ash, I mean, the, the thing that Yankee fans may have to deal with as far as what the Astro fans deal with is that I believe the last championship the Yankees had was back in the steroid era when when they before they started testing for it so that kind of i don't know I, I i think the free agent stuff is bad and then you know also i obviously i can only be one real fan in one 
league. <laughs> so I wasn't really, a, I couldn't be a fan of the Astros in the full way that you would be a fan of the Astros because it's your, it's your team. But I lived in Texas. I've been to the Astrodome and I rooted for the Astros because they were an underdog and they were a good story. So I have to say that I was rooting for them in the world series in 2017 um, against, yeah. against the Dodgers who I just, I was too. <laughs> I figured. You know, one, one thing that a lot of people were saying, like, look at the Astros. They can't win without cheating. They had to cheat to win, and then they just keep winning. So, like, a thing that bothers a lot of us is they didn't need to do what they did. They probably still would have won without doing it. And I think there was a story, what, uh, Duke, Duke University did a study, and it shows that it didn't even help. So a lot of us wish they wouldn't have done it. But for us, it's in the past. It's over. We've dealt with it. We were we were upset by it as fans. It upset us that it happened, but you know we're over it. I listened to your uh, conversation with Tony Adams um, about this because he's also in our book. Um, we did an interview, and you know one of the reasons he's in there is because I want to make sure that the the Houston fan had their voice in this book. I didn't want it to be, you know, only people without you know with. Who are studying it from afar i wanted really someone you know and, and i would have gone to houston to do interviews had it not been for COVID. it just didn't it didn't really work out um so yeah i um when i, I was being interviewed the other day and i said i think the best argument against putting an asterisk next to the 27 i can't say that word it's in my book 2017 yeah it's the fact that they keep going to the american league championship series and then they won again in 2022 i think that puts that season in a different context than when it was then it happened right after um so because people also in 2019 there was no way of knowing when the scandal began, whether they actually had cheated in years after that, right? We wouldn't have we wouldn't have known that their success in 18 and 19 were was untainted because of, you know, not enough research. So 2022, Dusty Baker, very old school uh, manager, they win the World Series. I, I don't think there's any doubt that, that Houston has a great, you know, system and a great franchise. Yeah. All right. So in your book or y'all's book, that's how we talk here in Texas. Um, there's it's five sections. Correct. Yeah. There's five sections. Yeah. And so we'll go section by section and you, you kind of tell us a little bit about what we're, what we're going to read and what we're going to find out. So the first section is history of cheating in baseball. And I had actually done a little series Back when I was bored, talking about the man in white and the shot heard around the world. Like there's just cheating. The history of the world's just cheating. And as an Astro fan, you're like, why why are why are we the only cheating scandal that anybody cares about? You know, baseball players can come out and say every team was doing this and nobody wants to hear it. Nobody cares. So talk a little bit about that section. Well, there's um, there's four articles in that section. One is the uh, a basic history of cheating. One is more about this um, anthropology professor was a minor league baseball player. And we begin the, the chapter with the fact that he um, pretended that a ball he had gone by had gotten stuck in the fence 
so it became a ground rule double rather than a than a than a, a scoring run and you know he goes through and he talks a lot about the difference between gamesmanship and cheating and how that those two terms are not very clear to most people and then we have an essay on the osana scandal um because that's someone wrote and said you know this really is in some ways a bigger a bigger issue to to some people than than the cheating scandal itself and then someone wrote about how in the scheme of things it's not really a big scandal at all um so that's what that's what the that's what that section is um the next sections of uh, the scandal folds is really more about what was happening at the time of the scandal it's will leach's piece about the scandal being kind of fun and i think that was my initial reaction too that the trash can and the camera seemed like a you know kind of this really interesting way of conveying these things um someone a, a scholar roberta newman did an essay on the history of the trash can um there's some very interesting connections between baseball and trash two brothers actually are cousins actually one was responsible for cleaning up the streets of europe of london and another was responsible for the the chadwicks responsible for the rules of baseball and then we kind of go on from there mitchell nathanson and evan drellich wrote both right in that no um, evan writes in that about who's really to blame in the scandal and then the next I have the book in front of me. What's what's our next? Oh, oh ethics. I, ethics. Oh, do you want to? Do you want to? Yeah, I can tell you what it is. It's it's ethics, right? Well, the next one is fans and the scandal. Oh, fans and the scandal. That's right. Um. So, what do you think about this as a Yankee fan? Yeah. Every team had those live monitors. Every team. You know, like I said, players came out said everybody was doing it. And even if it was proven today, nobody would care. That's how I feel. But as Astro fans, we feel the only difference in us and the other 29 teams, or maybe only half the teams were doing it, is that we had a, a member on the team that actually came out and admitted it. Do you think that's possible? In your opinion, you think the Astros were the only ones doing this? Well, I think there that specific thing, although you you know, as you talked about with Evan, the the Apple Watch scandal was right there. Um I think the monitor in the dugout and the banging on the trash can was so um you know, you you and Tony were talking about this, how you could go and listen to this. Remember you I remember you telling him like you figure this out yourself by just starting to listen to the games and that's what he did too and i think yeah i listened to one game and i had my headphones on and i could predict what pitch was coming and i was like wow because I, I didn't believe it i was like there's no way this is true and i saw the video where the white Sox pitcher kind of like noticed it and that's when they actually stopped doing it and i and i was like you know, there's no way this guy's doing it. And, and, and it broke my heart. It broke my heart to see that some of them were partaking in it, except Jose Altuve. He wasn't yeah, doing yeah, it. Exactly. Josh exactly. Reddick wasn't doing it. But Altuve gets the blunt of the – he gets his own chant when he goes to Yankee Stadium. 
And he was he was the one that wasn't even doing it. Yeah, I don't think there's a lot of um, deep dives of other fans after this came out, right? I don't think there's a lot of subtlety in the response to the scandal. I think that is really your answer. The first answer, well, the two things I would say the track, like the fact that you could hear it. And the second is that they won the world series. Yeah. And so that's really, that's really it. I think the Yankees and the Red Sox, um, I, you know, that certainly tempers my opinion, you know, I, I have to say, and also, you know, before I talked to Tony, I was, you know, I wasn't here. Like, how can you be mad that Jose Altuve wins the MVP? He's an amazing player. And the contrast between him and Judge and size is really fantastic. And and again, Judge wins it last year. So certainly that that has erased all that. But yeah, I just think it's a lot of it is because of the unusual nature of the scandal. And I think the second part of it is that they won the World Series. I think otherwise, if someone, if this had come out and Astros had not won the World Series, I do think there would be some, you know, it'll, it'll probably just died pretty quick. I think. If they yeah, I think it. so too. I think so too. And so many people got fired, and then the players didn't get punished. I mean, there's all these things, and then, of course, maybe even a factor is the fact that COVID happened right after. Maybe we all, I mean, I know that's one of the reasons I was able to write the book is because I was sitting at home and I was, you know, I could ask people to write for me in a very relatively short period of time. So maybe yeah. that's part of it, that it's it's just a, a matter of circumstance. But I do, again, I do think that they've continued to win without this scandal, without the scandal. I think, you know, I think if I were an Astros fan, that 2022 would be, very meaningful to me in much the same way that like when the golden state warriors won their championship a couple years ago it sort of let people know it wasn't just kevin durant that won these championships yeah. in previous years it, it changes it reframes the accomplishments that came before it yeah i can tell you my point of view i don't really i didn't really need it to validate 17 yeah. uh, so the next section fans and the scandal what, what's in that section well, one, um, my friend Matthew um, gives a rundown of the sort of history of how fans are connected to their teams and then surveys basically to bulletin boards and other places on how fans are interacting with each other, especially Astros fans interacting with each other about the scandal, whether, um, you know, some people trying to convince Astros to go to the Astros fans to go to the Rangers, other people resisting that, and just sort of recounting that. So there's a lot of reporting. Another um, another writer talks about yeah. Another writer talks about the more about why fans stick with their team. That it's really hard to the sort of psychological aspect of why it's really hard to stay. To leave yeah. the team that you're loyalty loyal to after after something like this because again like I don't think people decide to be fans of a team I think I think it happens it, it it's well it's not an in, <laughs> I, this way I don't think it's an intellectual decision it's an emotional decision you yeah. often come, you often you often come to your fandom because there's something about the team you like either you're a young person and your parents like it or you like 
I chose the Yankees over the Mets because I like the announcers of the Yankees better than Mets. The Mets were mm. better when I was a young person. Um, and I've been to many more Mets games. I'm, I'm, I am a Mets fan, but not like Yankee fan. Yeah. So when something happens, as you said, it's very hard to, it, you, again, like you said, your analogy of your children, you can say like, I just don't, I just can't believe they did that when they didn't need to, as you yeah. kind of discussed. And, but where am I going to go? I mean, yeah. like, I got into it with a Cubs fan, you know, shortly after the scandal and he was like, I wouldn't like the Cubs anymore if they did it. And it's like, there's no way. There's no way you're going to stop liking them. And he's like, I would at least stop watching them for a year. It's like, what, what would that do? But that's it's true. like, that's what I do. I, you know, during baseball season, I go to work, I come home, and I watch the Astros game. What am I going to do? I mean, that's they're part of my life. What else am I going to do? I'm not going to stop. I mean, you could just tell everyone who didn't really pay that much attention during COVID. There weren't that many games. That would have been your year off. But yeah, yeah I think when I think other people trying to tell other people how to feel about their fandom is uh, an exercise in futility. I don't I, I don't think there's any way of of having somehow driving people to another team. That's what Matthew's chapter is about. It's it just doesn't it doesn't work like that. I don't think fandom works like that. Yeah. I mean, we have the for me, I live in San Antonio and the Rangers are five hours away and the Astros are three hours away. And my initial, the, my very first game was in the Astrodome, and I didn't go to watch the Astros. I went to watch the Cubs, and then I had fun, so I went again, and I went again, and all of a sudden, I'm an, I'm an Astros fan. And for me, it's because of location. It's the team that I could watch. You go watch them, you know, three, four, or five times, and you're hooked, and that's your team. You get to know the players, especially the Astros, how most of the guys are homegrown like you watch them play in corpus you watch them play in triple a and then you know you you just love these guys and it's just it's kind of like family to you well that's i mean that's what tony said in his interview he just said we i asked him to basically describe his fandom from beginning to end and then describe what happened when when he heard that they had cheated and you know it's it's a very long process to become this involved, especially with the way, you know, you had some really interesting highs and lows before Luno got here, but then that sort of be really bad for a couple of years and then kind of build things up. How could you not, if you were a fan of the team, be excited about the way they were putting that team together? Even their, their free agent pickups were not really, I mean, there were consequential, <laughs> actually picking up Beltran was probably a little bit more consequential than you would yeah. like, but, um, but yeah, they were really a, a great homegrown organization. You know, I, you know, Evan, all the stuff in Ellen Evans um, book aside um, about the way the, the organization worked um, from a fan point of view, all you saw were young, a young team growing into themselves and becoming really, really amazing. And not just one player, like multiple players becoming great. What do you think as a as a Yankees fan when they hired Beltron and they put him on the Yes Network? I mean, this guy was like credited from the players as the guy that started it all. You know, he was like, hey, you guys need to step up your cheating game. And that just shows like, well, you were with the Yankees last year. Like, where are you getting this? Where, where are you getting this at? You know? 
I, I don't have I don't have strong feelings about that. You know, the <laughs> funny thing, have you read have you read Ben if you read Ben Ryder's book? Yeah. There's a really interesting part in that book where he talks about how Beltran was sort of the master of scouting, right? Keeps these detailed notebooks about all the pitcher's tendencies. And now you're reading it like after the scan, you're like, oh, well, yeah. I guess I guess he was really taking pretty, pretty good notes on things. But yeah. No, I don't feel I don't feel strongly about it. I mean, I'm I'm a little post cynical when it comes to things like that. Like, how are people supposed to behave? Is he supposed to be out of he wasn't suspended by he wasn't suspended by baseball for his role. He was fired by the Mets because he was associated with it, but there was nothing formal on the thing. So of course someone's gonna hire him eventually. Everyone else yeah. did. Hinch and Cora and you know Yeah, the Red Sox, they fight they they suspend him, I guess, and then they bring him right back. And the, so they get rid of him and they're they're bad again. He comes back and they're good again. And Boston goes through their own their own uh scandal or or re, what do you call it? Uh where they're being uh checked on by the league. I can't even get the word yeah, out. No, I they're being I, investigated by the league. And the players know. The players know now after what the Astros did to keep quiet. There's not there's there's nothing good gonna come from admitting anything. And they just pinned it on the replay guy. I mean, this guy was telling them during the game, you know, this is I don't know. But anyway, they they learned from the Astros not to say anything. I mean, the stakes are so high in professional sports. We don't like to think about it like that. We like to think about it as something we enjoy watching. But the stakes are really high. And I think Evan's book talks about that. And even Ben's a little where you just, you know, Loonhow was supposed to build this team, but it also was this quest to show that this method was correct. And, you know, a team that wasn't so reliant on spreadsheets and analytics might not have started taking notes about signs, right? There's there's something that you can say about that. Maybe that was just one of the one of the lines that he crosses. You know, management consultants, someone wrote in our book, or someone I quoted someone in our book talk about management consultants language is PowerPoints and Excels. And, you know, there is that. I mean, Evan says that it was more the players decoding it in the in the in the dugout, but I get my suspicion is that was a combination of both, that the work started in the in the front office and moved to the dugout. Yeah. So if you have a team and it's you're the sixth year of the general manager, you have a lot of pressure on you to win. It doesn't excuse it, but you can see why people make decisions that seem that seem out of bounds to us, but in their context are. And that's one of our writers writes about that in the ethics session, writes about how baseball players and professional sports more gen professional athletes more generally really push the boundaries of almost anything to get to be a, you have to work harder than everyone else you have to really um, put in the time <laughs> and if there's a, a competitive advantage and it seems like there can be very little consequence to doing it um you're pretty likely to take it i mean that's what's that's what studies show so i that's think in that, the ethical yeah, dilemma section Exactly. So, 
and why yeah along with the fan stuff and then this and then the oh yeah and the fan section is also the international fans response to that and then the last section we talk about technology i talk about technology and the way it um just the stuff i was talking about the management the consultants the spreadsheets also the way i are you an analytic person do you do you like analytics you're not a fan more of a batting average yeah batting average home run a lot of that stuff i don't know well one of the things i and so you'll be interested in this i my belief is that when those things are invented it kind of serves to divide fans among themselves some fans really like those numbers but if you're growing up and i don't know about you but i could calculate my batting average when i was a little kid i was a little good math and that was very fun for me to like oh i have 17 at bats i have five hits this is what my batting average is we know how to calculate those things but then someone tells you what war is and it's seven calculations that i think that puts a barrier between fans and maybe even the general manager's office and the fans and it certainly does between traditional scouts who will take all the information, but a lot of observational data, right? They go to games and they see what's what, whereas people in an office, like in Moneyball, will just add the numbers up and decide who's a good player. Now, it really worked for the Astros for sure, but I do think that's one of the ways that fans feel a little disoriented from the game if they don't really understand how players are being evaluated when their eyes tell them one thing but you know and the stuff and the stats say another thing if he has 52 home runs but well, well that's not a good season because he's not getting on base you know that yeah. kind of kind of thing yeah to me i'm just watching the games and i can tell who's doing good and who's not doing good without all those fancy those yeah. fancy stats I, I don't i don't need them I mean, I'm a fan, but I also don't like the fact that no one ever explains them as they use them to me. I mean, I, I would like to know when someone said what war is, I would like to know almost every time someone uses it, what they're what they're really talking about. And then also the fact that there's so much surveillance of of athletes in the game. There's another chapter about the fact that Tony and you and following this could all do that work themselves and the spin rate you know some some pitchers yeah. cannot stay in the majors now because their spin rate's not good enough and all that thing where players are starting to lose some of their agency when it comes to it comes to the um the technology that's used to to evaluate them so that's the last chapter um the last two chapters mine and mine and that so I think if you're just interested in the state of baseball and interested in the type of things that led to the scandal, I think you'd be interested in the book. Um, but I'm not a hard seller. <laughs> like if, yeah. If the Astros are fans are very tired of this book, um, I I respect that. I'm very yeah. tired. Of this book. I respect that. Yeah, I, I I tweeted it out that you were going to be on, and some and somebody commented like, "Yeah, I'll pass on this one." Like they they he didn't have any interest in hearing what you I had know, to say, yeah. or I mean, that's just the way it is. We've heard a lot about it, and yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm interested in it. I'll you know I'll read it and yeah, see what I can gain from it. But did you end up reading Evan's book after a while? No, I didn't get it. Yeah, I I told him I was going to, but I never did. 
well, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there. But, oh, it's um, fine. But it's I can see why Astros fans, why why it's more of a of an interest to people outside the Astros family than the the Astros. It's interesting. The Texans I talk to are interested in it, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're not Astros fans. Um, yeah, it's it's possible. Yeah, maybe it's that word asterisk. We don't like that word. <laughs> I didn't, but let's be honest. I didn't. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't say they are the asterisks, but that's what people. That's the name comes from the fact that people are talking about that. Yeah. So that's not to say that they have one because they don't. You know, I don't think I don't. I don't believe even Roger Maris has one anymore. Or or Barry Bonds. I think those are just. I think that those are just the records, despite the fact uh, that the steroid error happened. I think those yeah. records are still his records. So, I always talk about the home run record as like when I was a kid, I knew how many home runs Babe Ruth had. I knew how many home runs Hank Aaron had. I know how many home runs Roger Maris had. I couldn't tell you how many home runs that Barry Bonds had in a season. I couldn't tell you what his overall home runs because I don't care anymore. That was this, that was like the number one thing that, you know, like for me, it was the number one record to beat in all of baseball. And now it's just something I don't care about at all. Well, in all of sports, really, right? Yeah. Like we don't really, how many, what is the record for the, for touchdowns thrown in a, in <laughs> I have a, no idea. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what's the, what's the, what's, we all know what the record for, you probably know what the record for bat, for points in a game is just because that's uh an NBA just because it's Will Chamberlain's 100 points. Yeah. So that we no one's beaten that. But I find it very hard to know. I think baseball is such a numbers game because it's such a long season and has such a rich history that the numbers really matter. So I do think that's yeah, that's that era really kind of through baseball for a loop it didn't it made a short-term decision to value home runs and it was very exciting during that home it was it was very exciting um people could not stop watching it um but then now we're kind of left without i mean maybe that's why analytic numbers are able to come back or come into fashion because the other numbers matter less than they used to yeah I mean, I remember, I remember being at the Astrodome when, when Mark McGuire hit his 33rd home run. Like, I'll never forget that. Yeah. Yeah. I, and last year, the judge stuff was really because there are quite a few people who consider 61 to be the real record, right? Yeah. That's, people are getting excited about that. But, you know, batting 300, Joe Posnaski writes about this. I don't know if you read him at all, but he no. writes about how 300 used to be this magical number. And now because walks are valued, it's no longer, you know, people do bat 300, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. Speaking of judge, what do you think about hearing about, did you hear the thing about his Goldilocks balls that there's three types of balls and no, and, and this, this scientist was getting the balls from the games and the majority of the balls were coming from Yankee stadium. What, what are Goldilocks balls? You got to look it up. Oh, <laughs> I'll send you the link to the podcast. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Because they, it's he's a, she's an astrophysics, and she was on the Bleacher Blooms podcast, and she talks all about 
that there's three different baseballs. There's like a dead one, a live one, and, an, and another one that's called a Goldilocks ball. And it's supposedly you you can hit more home runs with it. Huh. And, and she was collecting them. And the majority of the ones she found, you know, they came from Yankee Stadium. Huh, that's interesting. So that's kind of like, we're like, wow, no wonder he had so many home runs. He, he had special balls. Yeah. But yeah, look, look that up, though. You know what his home road splits were? No, I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I probably, I would assume he hit more at Yankee Stadium. But yeah, all right, I'll look that up. Um, <laughs> it's no, interesting. I, it's very interesting. I, it is. Well, we, you know, UMass, I know we're, we're less than a minute. Um, on the yeah, yeah, yeah. But UMass Lowell has a, um, we we have a bat, we have a baseball testing center there. So the major league actually uses our, to test bats and sometimes balls there. All right. So, yeah. All right. Anyway. You said it. We're under a minute. Uh, Jonathan, I appreciate you coming on. It was a fun conversation. I know I enjoyed it. I hope everyone out there did too. Yeah, I did too. And have a, a hope. The, I wish the Astros best of luck, except <laughs> against the Yankees. Yeah. Well, y'all are up two games to one in the series so far. So anyway, guys, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Astros baseball.